Tonight I'd like to speak about something which I think is on everybody's mind, and that is, you know, how do we understand Trump and North Korea? What does all this mean? Uh, you know, I mean, it was, it's historical that he's able to sit down with a North Korean dictator, who's one of the most ruthless men on earth, you know, and all of a sudden this guy wants to repent, if you can believe him, you know. <clears throat> And Trump gets the credit, because obviously he was very tough with the man. You know, he put on tremendous economic sanctions. Now we know why he wants to come back, because obviously his country's dying. And he realizes that he's not going to last very long, because everybody in his country, you know, will either be dead or dying. So what's the whole point? You know, uh, so obviously what he realized is that it pays to make peace with America and the world, basically. So then what he could do is obviously... Uh, change the whole future of North Korea. Besides the other incentives of making him a hero to North Korea, and all of a sudden he gets recognition among the nations of the world, I mean, there's a lot of incentives and benefits that he will get, which obviously he realized, you know, and, uh, and so on, you know, because how do you go from being a madman, threatening the entire world in America, they're going to blow them up with his big red button, whatever the guy had, right? And all of a sudden he's running to, bow, he's running to, to make peace with Trump. How do you explain this? It's incredible. But what I want to bring out <clears throat> is that there's something we have to understand, a dimension going on, which people do not see. So I really want to, you know, uh, talk about this. <clears throat> so in a certain sense, there's a very fundamental sheer uh, about <clears throat> what is going on basically in current events with North Korea and so on. But the first thing you have to do is you have to have an observation. You know, Trump said he's going to make America great. Fine. I can hear that. But that itself is revolutionary. Because what it really means, he's going to pit himself against the establishment. You know, and the establishment, of course, is not going to take this sitting down. He wants to drain the swamp. <clears throat> so obviously, <clears throat> they are completely against him and whatever, you know. But what do you mean you want to make America great? And I've dwelt on this. I've spoken about this. But now we find that Trump is far more than just make America great. I mean, take a look what he's done so far in terms of foreign affairs, not just America itself, right? You know, first idea, I mean, he confronted North Korea, you know. He's destroying them economically with the sanctions, and they are being destroyed slowly. And all of a sudden, Kim Jong-un, you know, this big thing in Singapore, which is really astounding, he probably, he probably was almost knocked out by looking at Singapore. It's one of the wealthiest nations on earth. It's really a city-state. It's a small little place. You know, it's more like a, a city than a state. But if you ever look at the skyline of Singapore, and I mean, what is this? It's one of the world, it's like Hong Kong. You know, it's one of the major financial centers of the world, you know? And he, he can't even get his North, in North Korea functioning and so on. So I'm sure that must have knocked out everybody and his entire entourage when they took a look. You know, I mean, he's like, you know, he's like, he's like, he's like a little village compared to, uh, you know, a, a city of major proportions. I mean, but anyway, <clears throat> so we find that Trump has uh, confronted North Korea, right? Then, of course, he's confronted, you know, China with the trade agreements. He's standing up to China. So I'm going to give you guys a $150 billion tariff. It's $150 billion. And of course, I don't care what they say, but they're frightened because most of the Chinese consumers are where? The consumers of China are in America. America, which is one country on the planet, consumes 
of the entire goods of the planet. So without America, all these guys won't have anybody to manufacture to. They can't afford to lose America, uh, you know, through tariffs. So think about that. He confronts China. And then he confronts Russia, Putin. Although I think that Trump has a deep admiration for Putin, and I think Putin has a deep admiration for Trump because they're both of the same feather, as they say. But Crimea, you know what he did with Crimea and Ukraine, all of a sudden he's got a whole bunch of uh, sanctions against Russia. You see? Confronting all of them. Then who else does he confront, right? He confronts the PLO, the Arabs. What does he do, right? He makes uh, Jerusalem the, the, uh, the capital of Israel. Then he moves the embassy. So he's confronting what? All the Arab states. Especially the PLO, you see. Then what he next does is he confronts who? Iran. And he's going to destroy Iran economically, you see. So now he's confronting Iran, you see. Then, then he's confronting Europe. He told Europe, who cares what you guys think? I'm going to go against Iran, against the wishes of Europe, you know. And even now in the G7, there was a, a whole meeting now, econ the economics, you know what I'm saying? Who did he confront? Trudeau. I mean, it's incredible to watch what Trudeau did, you know. I mean, it's astounding, you know, uh, that uh, in order for American dairy farmers to sell anything to Canada... They charge him 270%. And he's, he's, he's complaining because America wants now... It, it, this is unbelievable. Where, where is this guy coming from? Anyway, it's just astounding to watch. Whatever happened to the human mind and the concept of logic? Anyway, it's absent. But anyway, so he confronts Canada. He confronts the whole G7. You know, uh, what he called France and, and England and, and Germany, Japan and so on, you know. Takes them on, you know. Then after he gets finished with those guys, then he, of course he confronts Mexico, you know, with the whole NAFTA agreement, right? And the whole concept of, um, of uh, the war and all that. I mean, look what he's doing, this guy. Then, of course, he takes on the whole American establishment. And that's why they hate him. You know what I'm saying? The liberals and Democrats. It's just unbelievable what this guy's doing. And then, of course, he finally takes on the whole world in the form of the UN. What is this? How do we understand that he's confronting almost all different aspects of the world. No longer just America. This guy's all over the planet. You see, how do we understand this? And North Korea is only part of the fabric. That's all. That's a, it's a mistake to understand North Korea. It really means everybody. What's the underlying Yisoid principle going on here? Right? And the answer is what I've said a long time ago. And really, I want to repeat that. The reason why he could do that, fundamentally, is because the Sutton is dying. That's why. And the Sutton cannot stop him. I mean, basically what he's really doing is doing what? That what Trump is doing, he's confronting evil. That's what he's doing. Dishonesty. Corruption. And not only in America. He's con confronting that all over the world. You see, what he's really doing is taking on the Umas Ha'olam, the nations of the world. You see, this guy from Edom, America, Aesop, and so on, is confronting the entire world. Think about that. Then you can understand, and this is, not, this is only the beginning. He's only in his presidency for 500 days. It's going to get a lot better as he goes on with other people that he will confront. How do we understand this? Because, like I said a long time ago, the Sutton is dying, and I related certain ideas about that, you know, because the Jewish people, by their mitzvahs, commandments, tshuva, which is repentance, 
and your su and suffering has taken back 99, now it's probably 99% of the koyach of the satan, the energy and the power of the satan to do evil that he wants to do. So therefore the satan we know of course is dying. And I mentioned what does somebody do who's dying? You know, he has three different strategies, which I mentioned in a previous year. But the last strategy is of course is to find an ally, right? An ally who has the divine energy that the satan can take and re assert himself. So who's that? Yishmoel, I mentioned. That he goes to the Malach of Yishmoel and he says, listen, because Yishmoel is the only nation of the world that can draw power down from God, right? Without having to go to the Sutton for that energy. Now we know the only one who can draw down what's called the Nitzvah Kedusha, the sparks of holiness, is either the Jewish people or they give it to the Sutton if in fact the Jews sin. But there is no nation of the world besides them. But we do know that there is only one other nation that can draw down that power of divine energy. And we know that's Yishmael, the Arabs. And I mentioned why, because of the, the, uh, the, the prayer of Avram Avinu. When he said, I'll advise that Yishmael should live before you, you see. And what that means is that he should be able to take his energy, his divine energy from you directly and not have to go to the Sultan to take it, which is what all the nations of the world have to do. And the Rabbanisham said, okay. And therefore, the Yishmuel can take down the energy straight from God. And I mentioned that's why the name of God is in the word Yishmuel, right? And that's why it's there. So the Sultan went over, wait, the Sultan went over to Yishmuel and he said, listen, I'm depleted. Jews have taken back almost all of it. I only got 1% or maybe 2% left, right? If you remember the previous year, right? So the Sutton, so the Yishmol, the Malach of Yishmol said, no problem, I'll give you what you need, but on one, one deal, my nation called Yishmol, the Arabs, they should now become world dominant. And that was the deal, you see. But the problem now is that the Sutton's dying and Yishmol is dying, you see. The Yishmol itself is running out of energy, of course, Yishmuel cannot bring a tikkun to the creation. Only Jews can. When they have this divine energy, they can rectify all creation. Yishmuel can only rectify their own mazel, but they can still take down the divine energy without having to go through the satan. So it comes out that Yishmuel itself is running out of energy. Now what? And because of that, right, you see the Arab states are dying. They're falling apart. Just take a look, right? You've got Libya, forget it, it's a basket state, right? Egypt is falling apart, right? Then of course you have Lebanon, you have uh, what do you call it, Syria, Syria is almost uh, buried, you know? And then you have Iraq, which is also doing terrible, Afghanistan, you know? And then you have uh, <coughs> Yemen, yeah. Yemen is almost finished. It's one of the worst, uh, you know, it's, it's, almost, it's almost a complete failed state. I mean, you have one after the other, and even Iran is falling apart. Why? Because the Malach of Yishmol no longer has the energy. You see, and this is what's happening one Arab state after the other. Even Saudi Arabia is fundamentally dying. And they know that the jig's up, you know, because they know America has now become the greatest oil producer. You see, and it's only a matter of time until the world doesn't need oil. Electric cars, you know what I'm saying? Then you're going to have hydrogen powered cars and so on, you know, where you don't even need oil. They have solar energy. Look, it takes time, but in another 20, 30, 40 years, most of the world won't even need oil. So then where's Saudi Arabia? 
right? Deep in the ground. And they know that, you see. So this is what's happening. Therefore, because of that, which is important, the Satan cannot stop the destruction of the people that he feeds. And the Arabs, Yishmuel, cannot stop that either. You see, that's why there's collapse all over the world in many ways. You see, collapse of evil. Now, so that's a very important idea. What's an example of Yishmuel? Who? An example of how you, um, Yishmuel... An ace of can't that Yishmael can uh, directly bring down divine uh, yes. power. Yes, yeah. Is there some example of that? Uh, I don't know what you mean by example. Is there, is there an example in history how we find that Yishmael is able to draw uh, down divine power? Well, uh, well, probably, I don't know what you mean by example, but just like uh, there were times that the Arabs were the greatest nation on earth. Do you know how much stuff they did in philosophy? They had very famous philosophers and so on. You know, Avicenna, Averroes. Then they, they had, in math, they were great. I once read that Babylon, not Babylon, uh, was it Babylon? Maybe. Or no, maybe it was Damascus. I don't recall. Had like 50 different medical schools. The, the, the Arab world was incredible for a thousand years. You see, from five to 600 CE, all the way up to... Um, to uh, 12, 13, 14, 100. And then the Ottomans took over, who are basically also Muslims, you know. And they were the world power. Though that's the people that, just like Europe was controlled by Christians, the whole other rest of the world were controlled by the Arabs. I'm not talking about China and so on, you know. They, therefore, they are a world power. We don't realize that because the Arabs <coughs> haven't done anything significant in the last 500 years. But until then, they were incredible. In Chochmah, in everything, you know, there's so many inventions and ideas that came out of uh, 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 Arabia. What was that? Modern numbers. Yeah, yeah. But what, what is their anyway, how do they draw Kedusha and how do they lose their power? Well, they draw it if they do, if they're, if, in a certain sense, if they're righteous. Look, in many ways, Arabs are monotheistic. You know, there are certain things that they do, which itself is part of the idea, you know, and therefore they can draw down energy, which comes in the form, look, the energy that they draw down comes in the form of Hatzlocha, success, you see, and they were incredibly successful civilization for almost a thousand years, and even though it went from, you know, the Arabs, it went to the Ottoman Empire, the Ottoman Empire, you know, was, uh, was, was uh, half Europe belonged to the Ottoman Empire and the Middle East and so on, you see. And the Ottomans, of course, are Suleiman, he was an Ottoman guy, he was a Turk. Suleiman and so on, you know. Uh, and, uh, and so on, you know. So they were world leaders and had tremendous success and that's what it means. But I don't want to dwell, I want to I go move on. Why is, it, why, is the, anyway. why is the sun turned to the Oriental? Because the, the Orient is basically Yefes. So. No, the two main nations are not Yefes. It's Yishmoel <coughs> or Esav. Because they're both, they were Jewish. You see, it is the Jews that have this ability to draw down this power. Yefes doesn't, and so on. Anyway, but, um, so what I want to point out is something very interesting. We don't realize something, okay? But there are four messiahs. Four messiahs? Yes. 
Why you all look at me in strange? Uh oh, here he goes. Here comes a new religion. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't realize this. And here's what we begin to see. Okay, before you all run out of here. Um, listen carefully and you can hear what's what really going on, which people do not understand. What do you mean they're for messiahs? What's that supposed to mean? You Because know? you have to understand, what is a messiah? What is a mashiach? A mashiach is a world-class leader, okay, <clears throat> that will create enormous change in the country that he comes out of. It's a revolutionary, a tremendously powerful individual that can create a, a what he called, what's called a, a, a change, which is, um, uh, what's a good way of saying it? Which is, which is um, extraordinary. That's what a Messiah is. It's not just a regular guy. Extraordinary change and leadership. That's what a messianic figure is, you know? Uh, and, 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 it do, and it doesn't mean that the guy is necessarily good. For instance, Hitler, Machshemoy, okay? He was an anti-Messiah, because you think in terms of Messiah is good. But Hitler was really a Mashiach, but anti, you know? I hate to say it, it's what the Christianity calls the anti-Yeshu. That's, you know, that's also messianic. What he did is he gathered the whole Germany and the whole Europe and he revolutionized them. They became the greatest butchers in human history. That's messianic. But it's an anti-messiah. But it's an individual, you know, that can lead a nation into an incredible, extraordinary uh, direction. You see, and so on. These are messianic figures. That's why, for instance, Mao Zedong, you know, it's an unbelievable evil person. Yet he was able to take China communism and he made into a you know whatever a world power or you, you know and so into, he revolutionized china in a negative way by introducing communism which killed i think like, i think count there's like a hundred million chinese and he was successful in killing uh, these are not just leaders the leaders with the power of a mashiach in a sense that they can create extraordinary change whether good or evil remember there's a messiah and there's an anti-messiah Right? Okay. So when I say that Judaism really has, what I'm really referring to is the tikkun, the process of rectification of creation, right, really has f several legendary figures. You know, and I'm not talking about the figures of old Moshe Rabbeinu and, and, and the Tanoim and Rabbeinu HaKadosh. I'm not talking about these people they, because they created extraordinary change and revolutionary ideas and so on, you know. But in the end of time, there are fundamentally four major characters. What are they? Uh, I had mentioned, and I'm not going to repeat all that, but the whole concept of Esau doing tshuva, repenting, you see. And I mentioned, I gave many shurim on that. Uh, and therefore, in the end of time, and that's, that's how you know we're almost at the end, because what's happening is the good part of Esau is now doing tshuva. What does that mean? That means a leader will emerge, right, that will attempt to change the world. That's messianic, you see. And it's not just America. What is happening is that Trump is in many ways changing the world. 
you see. And because that's part of what he has to do. Of course, a major part of what he has to do is to assist the Jewish people, you see, and get them on track, which he's doing with more than anybody else, declaring Israel to be legitimate by declaring Jerusalem to be its capital, to move the embassy. What he's fundamentally done is he's legitimatized or legalized the whole Eretz Israel, which is against the Arabs, you see. So that anyway he has to do. In fact, that's his primary mission. But his secondary mission is to turn around and confront the entire world, because Esau dominates the entire world in the form of, you know, the Western civilization. And that's exactly what he's done. Esau is not only assist the Jews to do their tikkun, but part of his mission is to turn around against the world itself, right, and restore honesty, integrity, fairness. That doesn't mean that he has to be, that Trump is perfect, of course not. But we see it's happening, because that's his mission. You see, it's not that he has to just do the Jews. He has to, like I say, turn around and confront the entire planet, you see, and get them to try to change, at least in the sense of confronting them. And slowly there is a change, you see, because Trump is a messianic figure. He's a messiah of Edom or Esau, obviously. And therefore what that does is gives him two jobs. He must assist the Jewish people, like I said, and he must try to bring the world to a greater state. So take a look, you know, look what he's done. Korea, North Korea, China, Russia, Iran, the PLO, right? Europe, Mexico, Canada, the G7, the UN, and America. Excuse me, he wasn't elected for that. He's way out of bounds. <laughs> Think about that. Nobody ever thought that he'd be doing this in foreign policy, right? Hey, you want to make some laws, get rid of the regulatory commissions, you know, get rid of Obamacare, fine. But what's he doing? It's almost like half the time he's busy with the world, right? No, after answer, what is he doing? Because that's the mission of an individual who has a messianic mission of Esau. Not only has to assist the Jews, he has to try to change the world, you know. In many ways, he's doing what Lincoln said. Abraham Lincoln, probably one of the greatest presidents in American history, you know, and Trump is probably will be easily as great as him, okay? He said, America is mankind's last hope. And this was what, in 1860? Why? What did he mean? Because it's not just the hope that we have to be a model to the world by being democratic and allowing people all the freedoms that they have, you know? We also have to try to be a model to the world, not inside ourselves, but to teach the world what is the right path. You know what I'm saying? In any case, <clears throat> this is what explains Trump's totally unexpected behaviors. And that's North Korea, it's nothing more, it's part of that program. Not just to Israel, but to change the world. Now, what is interesting, I find, is okay, that's, that's Esau. What have happened to Yishmael? What have happened to the Arabs? Because he, Yishmael also did tshuva. He also repented. Yes? And therefore, he also comes back to assist the Jewish people. You see? So let me tell you what basically happened and, you know, what the Bansham did. Really, it seems that the Bansham wanted to give both powers the ability to change the Christian world, the Western civilization, and the ability to change the Islamic world. 
And you know who was supposed to be the guy? Obama. Who was Obama? Obama is what? He became the president, so he becomes an individual, right, that can control America, right? And Obama is also a Muslim. That's really what he is. He brought up by a Muslim. He is a Muslim. He worshipped in mosques, you know, for his whole life and so on. He's really, he rides two horses, Christianity and Islam. Do you ever wonder about that? And what did the Bansham do to this guy? And you begin to realize what a fool he was. Why? So Bansham said, in order for you to confront or to, to what he called, to change and turn around both of the elements of the world, which is the Islamic world and the Christian world, right, Western civilization, I'm going to give you unprecedented power. And that's how we can understand. This guy wasn't inaugurated, he was coronated. There were people that believed he was the Messiah. Yeah, they called him the Messiah. Why? It's incredible. Uh, you see? So, therefore, first of all, his image was larger than life. It's almost like he's a divine being. That never happened before in American history. You know, we laugh at it now because we see what this guy was. A divine being. He wasn't even a man. You know, how he corrupted everything and so on, you know? <clears throat> but if you think about it, was this an accident? No, because the Bonisham said, in order for you to do what you have to do, I'm going to give you unprecedented image. We'll think of you almost as a god, not as a man, which is exactly what America thought. You know, you had to read some of the interviews when he got inaugurated in 2008, you know? There were guys interviewing him, and I remember one guy, a commentator, he said, you know, when he talked about Obama, he had chills going up and down his spine. Really? You ought to check out your spine. You know, what does that mean? This isn't a man we're talking about. This is a messiah. <clears throat> and everybody's shaking at this guy. But who did that? Who, Obama? Big deal. No, it was the Rabbani Shlodim. It was God who said, I need you to have this incredible image. Then what the Bansham does is also unprecedented. He gave both houses of Congress. Both. This man could have been the greatest president in history. Because he had the power of what? Of America? And he had the power of the Islamic world because he was a Muslim or is a Muslim. Therefore, it would seem that the Bansham put the ability of Mashiach to Messiahs, a Mashiach of Edoim and a Mashiach of Yishmuel. Because both do tshuva, which means they both have to come back and assist the Jews primarily, but secondarily, they have to turn around the world. You see? It's more than just Eretz Yisrael, Klai Yisrael. And both are part of the Tikkun process, except they're the assistants. You see? And that's why Obama had such unprecedented, uh, what he called, um, image and unprecedented power. And the Bansham said, I'll give you a couple of years. And of course, what did he do? His megalomania, his gaiva, his arrogance got in the way. So not only did he not help America, but he basically tried to destroy America, right? He, he begged everybody for apology and appeasement, right? And he was terrible. He's probably the worst president in history toward the Jewish people. I mean, whoever heard of something where the UN condemned Israel and America abstained? This is unheard of. That's Obama. He not only did he not do his mission, he did the reverse of his mission. You see, but that's really what he was. A man who had both abilities invested in one guy. 
a mission for Edom, Esau, Christianity, Western civilization, and a man invested in Islam, where he really could have confronted them and changed them. Could have done exactly what Trump does. So what did Baruch do? He threw him out, okay, you know, and he assigned two of these jobs to two different people. What, was it, what were the two different people? The messianic concept of Esau, okay, he gave to Trump. And by the way, that's why the gematria of Barak, uh, 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 Barak um, <coughs> Hussein Obama, or rather the gematria of Barak Obama is gematria Mashiach. Exactly. You see? But instead of doing that, he failed. So he gave the job of Esau, he gave it to Trump. And Trump is doing it. That's the difference, you see? Because what Trump realizes, which I saw in an interview, and I once mentioned this, very interesting interview, some woman once interviewed him, Trump, and she said, well, now that you're a president, you know, you're running for president and so on, you're going to be biased. There's a lot of things you can't do with your business because it's a conflict of interest. She had a point. So Trump told us something which was amazing, and he meant it. He says, I'm not interested in the money. I got all I need. He's one of the most famous people on the planet. I don't need any of this. But here's an incredible opportunity to really do good for America. You know, I, can have, I have an incredible opportunity to do a tremendous amount of good things to the world. And he meant it. Who talks like that? You see, because already he was thinking that he has a mission, actually a divine mission, to raise the level of the world toward some type of fairness, justice, righteousness, and so on. To whatever extent he can, and to whatever extent he believes, and so on. That's exactly what he's doing. And so the Roshim gave that power to who? To, to Trump. And that's what he's doing. When you look at North Korea, China, the confrontation of corruption, evil, you know, and unfairness, you're looking at a messianic process of Edom. And that's why you could see North Korea and Russia and China, Iran, PLO, the Israel, right? And Europe. <coughs> you see Mexico and the G7 and the UN and America, the, the establishment. Because the American establishment really is the Rasha Be'esov. And Trump is the Toysha Be'esov. And he has to try to liquidate them. Because America has an incredible evil streak in them, which is the old Esau. The evil Esau basically is the American establishment. Because in the end, they're only interested in themselves primarily. And their power and their con continuity of power and fame. And secondarily, maybe in the American people. You see. But Trump's not interested in himself, basically. He's got it all. You know, he, what else does he need? World fame, billionaire, incredible luxurious living, you know? He's really in it for the mission. That's really what's going on, you see? So that power, which I believe was given to Obama, is now taken away. So Trump is doing exactly what Obama should have done. And more than that, the oinish to Obama is he's destroying Obama's legacy. There's not much left. And the other legacy of Obama is to change his shmoyl, right? Who's doing that? It's interesting to watch that Saudi Arabia, which is the essential idea of the whole Yishmael, right, is basically changing toward Israel. 
You know, this guy Mohammed bin Sal Salman. You know what I'm saying? Is he the Messiah of Yishmael? Think about that. Because what he's doing is not just benefiting the Jewish people. He's changing Saudi Arabia. He is the head of, uh, he is the head of Islam. Saudi Arabia with Mecca is considered the heart of the Islamic world. You see, they all look toward Mecca. He who is in charge now, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, he's changing Saudi Arabia, and by extension, he will change the entire Islamic world. And the evil of Yishmoel, of course, is Iran. So <clears throat> you now have two different people that have taken on this incredible mission that originally was Obama, taken away because of what Obama did, and now assigned to do different people. And lo and behold, you can't believe what's happening. The world changes every day. It's incredible. Every day there's another news alert of some incredible new thing, revolutionary idea. People wake up in the morning. What? You mean North Korea is going to meet with Trump? That never happened before, you see. And this is what's happening all over the world. In fact, I think the world is getting frightened of Trump because they realize this guy doesn't care who you are. I mean, take a look. England, powerful nation. France, powerful nation. Germany, and Trump goes like this to them. That's what he does. He couldn't care less. If he angers them, right, or he denigrates them, look what he said about Trudeau. You know, he doesn't care. You know, in other words, Trump isn't a politician. You see, he's a man that's interested really in truth. Not that he's always telling the truth, but in general, he will not be pushed around and bullied by people who are corrupt. You see, and you see that. That's why they're all afraid of him. Why do you think the North Korea, Kim Jong-un made peace with them? Because they probably had a meeting with the North Koreans and they said, hey, this guy is not, uh, you know, Carter. This guy's not Clinton, he's not Obama. You know, he's gonna step all over you. When he says he's got a big button that's bigger than your button, he means it, and his button works. You know what I'm saying? And they realize, this guy means what he says. You see? So he realized there is no option. Once you get a guy like that, then you have to obviously change. And therefore, he is, and so on, you see? So this is really what's happening. You have two individuals that are changing their respective dimensions or hemispheres. That's what's happened, you see. And that explains really what is happening. And that's why, by the way, there's a tremendous anti-Semitism on Trump. You know, what's the anti-Semitism? Because there's anti-Semitism uh, of Jews, why? Because they are involved in the Tikkun process and therefore people hate them. It's the old concept that a person who's not involved in the Tikkun process, Jew is, intuitively can feel and he's jealous of the Jewish people. It's really most of it. And there's also spiritual origins where they can feel the difference <coughs> in the Neshama of a Jew and so on. And therefore Trump, that's also involved in the Tikkun, except in a different way, everybody hates him too. It's the same concept. And all of this is being fostered, of course, by the Sultan who's dying. So he's desperately trying to get everybody to dump Trump. Desperately. Because Trump is about to remake his world of the Sutton and utterly destroy him. He's the, he's the greatest threat to the Sutton that the, the Sutton has ever seen. Because Trump is in business to eradicate in many ways 
evil and corruption and so on. And that's really what's happening. So really all this, uh, you know, anti-Trump that you're seeing from the establishment, all of it is in many ways satanic. And they don't realize that. It's all satanic. Because when you think about it, it makes no sense. Every time the man does something revolutionary, what do the media do? They dump on him. It's incredible. It's like somebody said it very nice. You know, when he finished with North Korea and they got a commitment, right? So the, the media woke up one morning and said, you know, we know he did something wrong. We got to figure out what it was. That's basically what it is. He can't ever do anything right. What do you mean? The guy just did something that's historic. He deserves a Nobel Prize. This is one of the greatest peace initiatives ever known to the world to take a country that's completely anti-peace, completely, it's a warrior nation, you know, and to completely reverse it with a guy sitting down. What other uh, uh, foreign affairs event can match what he did to North Korea, you see? Yet the papers are coming out and saying, well, he didn't really get a, com 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 a complete commitment, and how do we know he meets? Give me a break. Give the guy a chance. North Korea has to go back and they're going to have meetings now. It's, they, they will not give him an inch of credit. Not an inch. Why? The guy looks at that, I don't understand something. Why don't you give him some credit? I mean, guys can't be all bad, you know? So, so that, I mean, the, the whole thing smells fishy. And the concept of that, because it's really satanic. The Sutton can't give him credit. Or the Sutton's finished, <clears throat> you see. So that's really what is going on. And therefore, you can really begin to understand that if Yishmoel is changing, right, what will happen in the future is Iran will fall. Yeah, Iran will fall because it's all part of the end of the evil of Islam that will fall. Whether it be, probably the way it's going to fall is the economic sanctions will destroy the viability of Iran the people are going to rebel and throw the mullahs out. And then Iran will follow North Korea into tremendous prosperity. That's what's going to happen with Iran. And the second thing which I feel is going to happen is ultimately is Trump and Putin will get together. Because I believe Putin is part of the equation, or less so than Trump. That's why, that's why Putin, Putin really loves Jews. As you can see that himself. He said it himself, you know. You know and... Um, and that's why the Bonshom made him grow up in a, in a you know, to having a from a family <coughs> take care of him. He never lost. He's indebted to the Jews because they straightened him out. If you know the biography, you know. The problem with Putin, he's conflicted because he has interests of Russia, obviously. So he wants a port in the, you know, obviously off, uh, off Lebanon and so on, you know. I should say Syria and so on, you know. But ultimately, Putin has get the idea that Iran is dragging Putin, Russia, <coughs> to a war. And what the Iranians are doing is sick. It's crazy. It's evil. Because he knows he's going to destroy them. You know? So ultimately, Putin will join Trump as soon as the crazy people in Washington were trying to find out if there's Russian collusion. I mean, the whole thing is insane. Everybody knows collusion. What Russian collusion? It was Hillary collusion, not Russian collusion, and so on, because of you know, the false documents and so on. You know? uh, but ultimately speaking, that's what's going to happen. So, we have a messianic figure of Edom, Aesop. We have a messianic figure of Islam, Ishmael, right? But then you have the Mashiach ben Yosef. What does he do? These people are going to try to turn the world around, you see, in a certain sense, 
to try to mitigate evil and corruption, you know. But the Mashiachan of Jews are not involved so much politically. They are involved in something else. And that is Ruchnius, spirituality. They need to remove the veil of the spiritual worlds. That's really what the Mashiachan are involved with. That's the radical difference. You can have people involved in trying to change the world, you know, through the world, uh, the different, uh, you know, phenomenon and so on. But the Messianic figures of Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David is completely different. It's to change the entire, uh, what do you call it, perception of the world into spirituality, into ruchnias. Where all of a sudden the world sees in the Messianic era what's called the Or-Mashiach, the or the concealed light, the messianic light, the concealed light, that's what the Mashiach is involved with. Mashiach doesn't bring a political revolution. They, br- they bring what's called a spiritual revolution, where the world now realizes that there exists an entirely different spiritual dimension. <coughs> you see, <coughs> where do you see this? Because you see this, what's called, in the end of the Torah, <coughs> when it says, when it's talking about the blessings of Yosef, it says, Bechor Shoiroi, the firstborn of his ox. Okay? Hodoloi is beautiful. <coughs> it says in the Pasuk, by Yosef, Bechor Shoiroi, the firstborn of his ox. By Hodoloi, he's beautiful. Tremendous hedor of beauty, you know? Vekani Re'em Kaunov. And the horns of this ox, right? Is not the horns of an ox, it is the horns of a Re'em which is a, an animal, a, myth, a mythical animal, okay, which I will explain. Ubehem, right? Bekani Re'em Karnov, and that's what his horns are, right? Ubehem, and with these horns, Amim Yenagach, he's going to gore the nations. You see? That's the, <coughs> the posik that refers to Mashiach ben Yosef. How? You have to understand what the metaphor is, and that tells you what the job of Mashiach ben Yosef really is is that Bechor Shoiroi, the firstborn of his ox. Who's the ox? The ox is the symbol of Yosef. Who is the firstborn? Mashiach ben Yosef. You see? Hodoloi, uh, beauty is his. What does that mean? What that means is this, is that the horns of an ox are what? They're usually what? They're very short, they're very powerful, you see? But the horns of this ox, right, is not the horns of an ox. It's the horns of a re'em. You ever see the horns of a deer? Magnificent, the way the antlers. You ever see an antler, you know, right? The way they shape. It's, 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 it's beautifully aesthetic to look at their horns, you know? Uh, so the horns of Mashiach ben Yosef is like not the horns of an ox, strength, but the horns of a re'em. What is the horns of a re'em? And how can the Mashiach ben Yosef have horns? And of course, it's a metaphor. <clears throat> what are horns? Horns emanate from the head, uh, right? And they use these weapons. Therefore, the weapons of Mashiach ben Yosef, the metaphor is horns, right? right? The weapons of Mashiach Yosef also emanate from his head. What is that? Chochmah, wisdom, profound wisdom. That's his weapons. 
you see. So the horns of the Ra'im, the metaphor, is really referring to the wisdom that emanates from the head of the Mashiach bin Yosef. Those are the weapons that he will go the nations. Uh, but what do you mean it's beauty, right? Because it's magnificent understanding of the entire reality. Because it combines the reality of the physical world with the reality of the spiritual world. It's really Kabbalistic studies and so on, you know? And it reveals a dimension of reality that the world has never seen before, you see. It's the same equivalent, you know what I'm saying? If, uh, you know, a guy who lived in 1840 BCE, and you took him and you put him into, you know, today, 2018, he's never seen this before, you see? This world that we have today is completely concealed from that man. The same idea. Mashiach ben Yosef is going to reveal a reality, all Ruchnius, the spiritual world, which has never been seen before. And that's his weapon that he's going to go to the nations. You see? That's the old Mashiach. So you now understand the difference that there are two people assigned because of the tshuva that they do, but they are assigned to do the tikkun, to help the Jews do the tikkun, but their job is primarily worldly, to confront the world and try to change the world and also to assist Israel. But the job of the Mashiach ben Yosef is not a physical fight. He doesn't go to the nations with politics, you see, or economic sanctions. <coughs> That's not what he does. He goes to the nation, which means he confronts them with an unbelievable chokhmah. And that is the chokhmah of the Omashiach, the messianic light, or the Orishim, the first light. That's what it's also called in the beginning of Odom. Remember that? Or the Orhagonas. They all refer to the same concept, the concealed light. That's the job, you see. And then Mashiach ben David is what? So Mashiach ben Yosef, his job is basically to bring all the Jews back to Eretz Israel, to build the base Hamikdash, to gather all the Golosim, and to reveal the old Mashiach. And then Mashiach ben David is the, so he's the king that will rule over a world that the Mashiach ben Yosef has created. You see? So Mashiach ben David really is a figure that rules over a world that has been changed by the Mashiach ben Yosef. That's the difference, you see. So really Mashiach ben Yosef, who is a Messiah, a real Mashiach, in many ways is the first stage of the Messianic process. And that's where we're all, we're all hoping that the Mashiach ben Yosef uh, uh, um, <coughs> shows up. And that's the beginning of the Ruchnius the beginning of spirituality change in the world, of which you have no idea what that means. Look, when God says, I will bring, no matter where the Jews are, in Hazinu and in Vayelech and so on, at the end of the Torah, God says, no matter where the Jews are, at the ends of the earth, I will gather them. You see? I will gather them and bring them to me. What that means is not even when I gather them, but I will bring them to me and elevate their ruchnias. I will change them and give them a heart Right? Not of stone, but a heart of flesh. That is the whole concept of the removal, what's called the zoyama of the satan, to remove, because the, the pollution of the satan is what makes the man's heart stone, you see. Whereas when you remove the zoyama, the pollution of the satan, then you are talking about a person that has a human heart, a heart that can feel ruchnius, spirituality. So, you now understand what I meant, that there are four Mashiachs. Right? And you understand what it all means. Is that when Yishmuel and, and, and Edom do Esau does tshuva, which they will do, 
There will be an evil part of Yishmael and Edom, which we, I've already identified. But the people who are, will do tshuva and assist the Tov Shabbat and the Tov Shabbat Yishmael, right? They, in many ways, are messianic figures because they will revolutionize and change the world, their respective worlds. And that's really what's happening. And those two things have been given, like I said. I believe initially they were given to Obama. But, and I'll tell you one thing, Obama also failed in one more way. Chom. Chom is one of the sons of Noach, right? And he did a terrible act, and Noach cursed him. And we all know traditionally that Africa, the blacks, are the nation that he cursed. <coughs> That's who Chom really is, you know? So Obama could have redeemed all the blacks. Chom. He could have removed the curse of Chom. Because he himself is black. So the Bonisham gave that task to somebody who's black. Hey, you could redeem not only Edom, the world, not only Yishmuel, Islam, and, and Western civilization. You could have redeemed the whole concept of black, the curse of Noyach against them. You see, what a failure the guy turned out to be. And what an opportunity the man had. And he failed, you see. And that's why the Bonisham basically wants to destroy him. Terrible what he did. But that is an understanding of what is going on today. So we can sit back and enjoy the show. If you can do that kind of stuff, you know. <clears throat> to watch what, the, the changing, look, the world has been changing. Trump has been in office for 500 days. You can't believe what this guy has done in terms of the unemployment. It's the lowest in history. The lowest Hispanic unemployment, the lowest black uh, unemployment, the, the, almost the lowest white unemployment, you know, got rid of the regulatory, and he's done this without the Congress. That's the incredible thing, uh, you see. And of course they're trying to bring him down, because people don't understand, somebody who's chosen to do a mission has God behind him. Fundamentally, there's no way to bring Trump down, or even somebody wants to change Arabia, there is no way to bring them down because they are charged with a critical mission to change the world and to most important to assist the Jewish people, you see, and therefore they think they can bring them down. But then again, so did Haman, didn't he? He thought a Jewish person, a Jewish world, right? And what happened to Haman? Dead, right? Which is, of course, incredible. Overnight, he was destroyed, you know? The same idea is happening today. So, therefore, what I want to do is give you a, a, uh, a messianic framework of what is happening. Is just don't focus on North Korea, which is the mistake. Focus on the whole thing Trump is doing and the changes <coughs> that are taking place in the Islamic world, not only in the destruction of the Islamic world in terms of the nation states, the nations that are failing, but even in, in the, the case of the, uh, the Islamic world that's changing many ways, for the better. So this is really the proper way, as far as I'm concerned, to understand, you see. But we're watching this in amazement because it's happening in our days. It's incredible to watch, uh, you see. And so therefore what you really need is, like I say, you need the perspective to understand. But it, like I say, it's amazing to watch. And as a result of that, things are gonna happen. This is just the beginning of the show, as they say, you know. As a, an old comic, I have to say, Jimmy Durante. You don't remember Jimmy Durante. You know. <laughs> Got to be a certain age to remember that guy, you know. Uh, he always used to say he had a famous line, you know. He was a, he was a very famous comedian, you know, Jimmy Durante, you know. 
he had an incredible nose you know but anyway he was in the 50s by the way in the 40s 50s but he always used to end his show you ain't seen nothing yet <laughs> he's famous for that line you know you ain't seen nothing yet you know but uh from what i remember you know but anyway <clears throat> uh what you can see now is just incredible one thing after the other as this process unfolds but listen as jewish people what do we really want if the world changes great for the world right what's it going to get us what we want is mashiach when you safe to come and to begin to reintroduce the incredible divine spiritual light of the Torah itself you see which is really the essence of the whole bria and let's hope, let's hope by next year, he, even earlier, you know, he will be here. Certainly, you know. Amen. Okay. Thank you. I hope I've given a framework for all this. You know? Because everybody's wondering what's going on, you know, in North Korea. And they're all trying to focus on North Korea. But it's not North Korea. It's the whole, look how many things he's done. He's confronted everybody. You know what I'm saying? Okay, any questions? Kushkopo didn't really vet Obama well. He did what? He didn't vet Obama very well. He expected <laughs> him to do it. I mean, where did he come from? That, uh, yeah, I know, you know. But the truth is, listen. You know, you know, you rub him in a vat. Remember, yeah. God said, you, Yishai, me, you and Yishai are going to be walking, right? And you rub him in a vat, says, me, Baraj. <laughs> he didn't vet him very well. No. You know? No, but, but that's what it is. There's a certain level of of Bahira. You know, in other words, this person can change the world. You know, I'm not I, God knows what he's gonna do because God knows the future. But he still has to give the guy a chance. You know, the guy has to on his own, you know. It's the old story there's you know God's knowledge and what really happens. What? It's a Bahina's Billum that the uh Umas Idol said he never gave us a chance. Yeah. Let's see what happens. But the man had such an opportunity. Uh, it's hard to believe, you know. Imagine you're world famous Everybody thinks you're a divine figure, you're Messiah, and you got both houses of Congress. It's like, what else do you need, you know? What do you need, a slap in the face? To realize why, he, what, what Obama should have said to himself, why am I getting all this? You know, what does the Bonishim want from me? But he never said that. All he said was, I'm it. Couldn't get past his own uh, yeah, his own megalomaniacal image, terrible, what he what he what he uh, wasted and so on, you know. But it's funny. In one man, he could have changed the Islamic world because that's what he is, and he could have changed the Western civilization. He had that power. That power is given to very few people. You should know to be able to do both. It's incredible. So he wound up destroying both. Incredible. You know what can you say? <laughs>